anything that you go through, any experience for which you don't make the required payment of emotion, you will later pay for with compound interest. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey, it is good to see you. Good to see you, Matt. And I just want to say thank you to all the people who are patrons on our Patreon website. I also want to say if you have been enjoying these podcasts and you could support this effort, that's the only thing that's going to keep it going. And so if you could give $5, $20, $50 a month, that would ensure that we're able to afford to continue to go on with production costs and marketing and putting things out there in the way that is most helpful for the most number of people. And Marty's really taken the lead on this. And I just want to put in a plug as his sidekick to say anything that you can do to support this. Yeah. Share content too. That's, that's really, really helpful. And also you can do a one-time contribution too, because some people don't want their credit cards hit all the time, but we've not lost one patron and they've hung with us. I haven't been as active, but I'm getting more active now that Kathy's surgeries are the big ones behind us and the chemo's better. So we're uploading the content regularly so that you can get the video content. And then there's all kinds of cool swag. I just got a sweatshirt. Can I show you that? White Shepherd in the Shrink? Mm-hmm. Very- Did you get one? I didn't get a sweatshirt. I got a coffee mug. and Yeah. So like every three months, you'll get something different too that comes in. So anyway, thank you. That's the point of this thing. Uh, if you could see some of the feedback that we're getting from people, you'd know that your you know, money's going to, to the good. Yeah. yeah. But speaking, speaking a difference, I beat you to it. <laughs> I wanted to share with you that you know that there's a family member of my daughter-in-law's who is facing probably near an end time in his battle with cancer. And it makes me so sad. And it's just something that I've sort of been carrying around. And when I allow myself to be alone, it hits me. And so I was wondering if you could and I could take a look at sorrow because it's this low grade thing we don't pay attention to, but it can really have an impact. Yeah. And, uh, And if we expand our vision on sorrow, people are walking with sorrow for losses that we've had especially during the COVID, the lockdowns, it can be not just death, which would be bereavement, but when your pattern is disrupted, right? Through a loss, through a major loss, then all the patterns get disrupted. There is a meaning crisis, let's call it, right? Which means, okay, what is meaning? Meaning is significance and relevance in your life. The reason that you get out of bed. So like your job isn't always joyful, but it's meaningful. So it's better to have meaningful work than to have just a job. For instance, okay, well, when that goes away, there is anomie, is what we call it, which is the absence of meaning. A-N-O-M-I-E, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the way it's spelled. That's pervasive right now, actually. Other people have pointed it out, is that as the Christian worldview recedes, it's being replaced by something that's quasi-religious because we cannot bear the lack of meaning, the absence of meaning. And in fact, even in our perceptions, if there's an object out there and we don't know what it is because maybe it's dusk, and you're out in the woods, you will fill in the meaning until you find out what it is, right? So it's not a deer, it's a tree or squirrel. But but we'll imagine that because we can't bear that. That's what happens. Now, to add to that, what you're experiencing is suffering too. You're watching someone lose their life. 
you know, and the people lose that person. And then that's where you get this feeling of disorientation, which is the first thing that happens. Like, what's going on? What does this mean? And it takes time to put that your story back together and create something new. Right. Does that fit? It fits very well. And and then how how much do I carry this around or carry it into my conversation with the person who's suffering? You know, that's making me sad. How how much do I step in? How much do I be present? How much do I not bother them? You know, we're so afraid to bother them. And yet everybody who's walked through times of suffering and sorrow said, it's the person who came and just showed up and I didn't have to perform for them. I didn't have to cheer up for them. I didn't have to do any of that. What is it about showing up that's so valuable? Because you're right about that. That's what people want. But what what's so valuable about just showing up? Well, I think it places us kind of in the image of God. You know, when we say Jesus was the incarnation, carnals, like flesh, in the flesh. And just to know you're not alone. And it's a reminder, you know, Jesus himself relied on his friends when he went through times of sorrow. Jesus had sadness. He had sorrow in his life. And there's a pattern to what he did as he dealt with that. One other factor that I think, though, is just COVID fatigue, if you want to call it that, that I think makes everything way a little more. Sure, because in that COVID fatigue, it's, it's, uh, the pattern's been disrupted. The things that we like to do, even small things, if they are missing, we'll start to feel that. So I don't go into work anymore. Okay, there's some upsides to that, but there's also the loss. The people that you see that you didn't even think about. It's just, you know, you had that, that rhythm in your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your world was a little bigger. Yes. Maybe it is right now. And you were more connected. Yes. Because people are lonely right now. And lonely doesn't mean that you don't have bodies around you because plenty of lonely people have bodies around them. What it means is I don't feel like I matter, that I'm important to people, that, that I'm connected to a community, that I belong to this. Because when we belong in a family or a social circle, a workplace, we calm down, right? We feel safe. We get that safe feeling in our bodies. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what is sorrow? We want to talk about sorrow. What is sorrow? And what did Christ have to say about that? And what did the scriptures have to say about sorrow? There's plenty. Well, I think, I think to get to sorrow, we need to name the fact that a lot of us have been impaired, emotionally impaired. And this jeopardizes our marriages. This can jeopardize the influences that society have, has on us. And it keeps us in this impairment that we can't go all the way there, whether it's the motto when you're growing up, you know, big boys don't cry, or whether it's overemphasis on violence or certain sports, or whether, you know, we admire the strong silent type, because it must mean they're really deep. And a lot of us hide behind that. The idea that that showing emotion equals weakness. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was not always, but I've come to believe that we have it that backwards. (laughs) That it's weak to not show because you're fearful or avoidant for for some reason that you're afraid you're going to be judged or that you're going to be perceived as weak. A a guy who is comfortable with his strength or a woman Mm -hmm. comfortable with her strength, they're nonplussed. (laughs) If someone doesn't like them, they don't because they're certain about who they are. And it's just a misunderstanding Mm. if you think I'm weak. And also we, we don't have the rituals that we used to have. Like I've noticed in my lifetime, funerals are going away. Hmm. I've known so many people who've passed and, and not just because of COVID either. But the burial rituals and the actual, you know, service that you have and the people coming together and publicly acknowledging the loss, those things are starting to go away. Mm -hmm. Which is really sad. We need ritual. And those families whose loved one who died said, I don't want a funeral, just have a dinner. 
they have suffered longer than the people who have gone through what people would say a more traditional type of great observation, Matt, because someone in our family did that. And so I experienced it. Someone close who, who died just didn't want to be a burden or a trouble or something and just have a party. That's not what those rituals are for. Those rituals are when we're grieving, we do not want to be alone, not for long. Sad, as we've talked about, as an attachment emotion, mm-hmm. right? So when, when somebody comes in and says, what I really wanted was the person who just showed up, well, they don't want them to just show up, start cleaning or something and ignore them. They want someone to feel with them because it makes it real. Remember, there's a breakdown in meaning, especially during a death. Like you don't know what your life means for a while. You got to walk through a year to understand, oh yeah, that the cereal aisle, she liked, you know, cornflakes or something, you know, just little things like that, that will stab you in the heart unexpectedly and bring out a, a grief burst. Well, when we have these rituals around it, it's a public acknowledgement because you're disoriented. It's not real. That helps to make it real. And, you know, for those people who would say they are Christ followers or those people who are leaning in on scripture, the shortest verse in the Bible is two words. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. And it's this, Jesus wept. Yeah. You know what? I've never heard anyone quote that without telling everyone it's the shortest verse in the Bible. I think that you have to. From now on. No, you can say that because people want to know that because it's a way to remember it. It's like a hook. I just noticed that like, you know, you got to make it relevant. Lean in. Right. If you got to remember. special. Yeah. It's two words. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what's amazing to me about this. If Jesus is our life, if he's our pattern for living, if he's our Lord, then we've been fed this lie. If we somehow have this aversion to showing our emotions like this, we have this distorted image that's unbiblical and it's false. And thus it's unreachable. And yet how many of us try to reach for control over our emotions. And then we just feel guilt in our striving and our failing in our, when we're feeling despair, we add on to it because we think we're not supposed to be feeling this. Yeah. We short circuited our emotional lives and boy, does that impact our relationships? Well, which means we deny reality. And sometimes the reality, the truth, the reality is so painful. You got to take it in a little bit at a time, but you do have to accept it. You will accept it. There will be a time or you will suffer, suffer, suffer if you don't accept it. Mm -hmm. And you know, interesting, one of the most famous prophecies of Jesus was from 700 years before his birth. And it's from Isaiah chapter 53 in verse three, it says, he's talking about the Messiah. And it's this amazing verse where he says the Messiah, he was despised and forsaken of people. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief like one from whom people hide their face. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. But we thought there was something wrong with him, even though it was him carrying our grief and our sorrows. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because you've studied this more than I have. There's plenty mysterious about Christ, plenty of mysteries in his life. You know, you'll never ring out all the meaning for that. But he knew when Lazarus died, he knew what was going to happen. So I went, why did he weep? Everything's there for a reason. The, the man was thoughtful, <laughs> to put it. Right. Know. He's the only perfectly sane person yes. who ever lived. We right. But so what was, was it just symbolically? Was it, or was it just, that was his nature? If you hurt, I hurt, or was it a combination of those things? What do you think? Why, why did he weep and then raise Lazarus? If I people don't know the story. Because he was never afraid to show his emotions. He was far more human in his emotional life than any of us are. And he was never ashamed to show people and to let people see how he really felt. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that he wept because he saw the loss of this loved one. Death in itself, it can be worth weeping over, whether you know the person well or not. You know, and I just think it welled up in him when he heard about John the Baptist being killed, his own cousin, and he loved John the Baptist, he admired him, and yet he's brutally murdered. And this is what happens when Jesus heard that. It says that he withdrew by boat because he was on the big lake, the Sea of Galilee. He withdrew by boat alone to a solitary place. And then, of course, the crowds followed him and found him there. It's this kind of a pattern. I think that he allowed himself full emotions. It wasn't like it was only God. He was 100% God. He was 100% human. He was fully alive and fully human as God intended. And that includes sorrow. And so for us to be fully alive, it's going to include sorrow. And kind of that pattern, Jesus, when he heard about John the Baptist, and then we can get to the Lazarus story, he withdrew for a time. And then the crowds found him and he went to healing again. And so I guess I would say withdrawal is good for a time. You know, you probably have had to treat people, and I know people who have totally withdrawn, and they've left the church. They've dropped out of relationships because they couldn't get past their grief. Somewhere along the line, they stopped grieving for the person or the loss, and they started feeling sorry for themselves. Uh, Is that mean to say? No. If it's true, it's not. I mean, you don't want them to do that. They call it grief, but I think it's really more of like a tomb that they are building for themselves and they've hardened themselves like shellac, you know, that you put on a pot you made when you're in elementary Mm -hmm. school. Nothing gets in or out and they've cut themselves off from any life, from any health, from any help that's available to them. I've seen two opposite approaches to when there's tragedy, because I remember this from Mm 9-11. On those speeches that people gave at the memorial and all that, I heard God's name mentioned over and over, right? So there are some people that like me, I mean, where else am I going to go? I got to go. I have no place to go, but God. So to surrender to that, you know, and you still feel pain and sorrow, but then the other ones are bitter, like you said, and then they harden their hearts and they say, Hey, you just gave me a raw deal. God, as if death wasn't as tragic as it is, this is part of the deal, part of the bargain that if you take a life, you will experience that the earthly death. It's the way after the fall. It's not God. God didn't intend it to be his way and it's being restored. Yeah. Do you notice that though? Some. Yeah. It always strikes me as funny when someone who's 94 passes away and someone says, it was so sudden. We hardly knew her. <laughs> and, and it is sad. And the next 94 year old that I know and love, I'm going to be bawling. But I also think it's kind of funny because we say it was so sudden, but they're 94, you know, yeah, right. amazing. <laughs> Well, I have, though, seen joy at deathbeds mm-hmm. more than once because I have seen people die. You know, I've been there like real close or and as it has happened, I have seen joy. Have you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. There's this r- sweet release. Yeah. It's almost a, a celebration. A celebration is what I what I the, the last guy that I saw that happened to was a good close friend of mine died of cancer, but and he couldn't speak because they had done the surgery on his vocal cords and things like that. But he went through this fear and things like that early on and loss of hope. And then finally that acceptance thing came in. But I really know that there, there are what are called harbingers. And those harbingers can be dreams. But what it is, is it's, well, I shouldn't say that, but I don't hear a lot of talk about demons and angels, but that's a real part of 
the thing and they don't have wings and things like that that's just how they're represented but you know but they're messengers it's a job title right yeah. uh, angel is a messenger and it's, it's a job description more than a name for the type of creature a spiritual creature but they come they come and they comfort and they give them a a vision of what's coming on and then people calm right down and that's been reported over and over if you know any nurses that are, deal with end of life care they'll tell you that hospice people as well yeah that's what i'm talking about exactly anyone who's encountered death and and then the other thing that i noticed which struck me is the people who fear death the most often are the ones that haven't been exposed to it because when i was exposed to it the first time at 17 years old in a really important way with somebody close to it, i didn't fear it anymore because i'd seen it because my ideas were so different because my sister had a harbinger mm. she wouldn't even talk about it it was too sacred she wouldn't she and she's only 13 years old but she's like i had the best and i, I can't tell you now how many dreams do you just not tell? And let's not even say it was a dream. Maybe it wasn't a dream. Right. You know? Wow. That's, I think that, that bringer of peace, that harbinger of peace. Yeah. Death wears thy sting. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you truly, 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 truly know, or getting close to that, if you truly, truly know, because there's a line in Revelation for some, Revelation has just been popping for me lately. You know what I mean? Like it's such a different book than I thought it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now, wow. what's it going to be like to face your own death or a loved one's death? And you know that, like you don't doubt it. You just know it. It's going to change it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus says we don't grieve as the world grieves. Uh, did he say that? Wow. Yeah. yeah we, we, then how do we grieve? That's the question. I know. It's a great question because people have lost so much, you know, big and little. And, and those little losses matter. I'm not going to minimize them. You know, they do matter, especially yeah. if they start to add up. Yeah. But how do we? What do we do? Is it? I was doing grief share in the church. That's where people get together when they've lost someone very, very close to them. And this, this man lost his wife. And, and, and he's talking about how his wife called in the grandchildren and things like that. And he was struggling somewhat, but I just mentioned like, cause people were offering, well, maybe she did this and maybe she didn't want the kids to worry or grandkids were. And I just said, maybe it was a celebration. And that clicked with him for some reason. Cause he thanked me and he was like, and I could see the relief, but he hadn't had that frame of reference at all. But I, I didn't make that up. That's what I'm told in the Holy scriptures. Right. You know, if we can reframe suffering or sorrow, even death, that's that's this whole new paradigm that Christianity has given us, gifted us with. We don't see things with the same eyes. We don't grieve as the world grieves. We don't have to worry about feeling orphaned. And he conquered death. And I didn't really know what that meant. I thought it meant you're going to go in the ground and then in a number of years, they're going to open up and corpses are going to come out and right. things like, like yes. that. And But no, he conquered death, which now that we have resuscitation medicine that's able to research this and people are starting to speak out because they're less afraid of being called crazy or something, mm -hmm. I think you die. I, there's a continuation, you know, because like my right. body's changed. I don't look like I did when I was four years old physically. I hope not, at least. I don't mind if that goes away, but me, that's not me. Mm -hmm. That's what I walk around in. But I don't think you die. It doesn't appear that you do. Right. And for those who are coming alongside people who are going through this process, and whether you're the direct caregiver or you're just a loved one, a step removed from that, it's so following Jesus' pattern, number one, it's okay to withdraw for a while. Yeah, you, you're going to want to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Don't be afraid of it. It's like when you need to throw up, we, we use that analogy all the time. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And then you do and you feel so much better. Same thing when you come to this moment of sorrow where you just feel like you're going to fall apart. You end up not falling apart or only for a little while, you know, and there's all kinds of chemicals that go on. Yeah, it's tremendously physically stressful. That's been shown before. Like if you're grieving, your immune system takes a giant hit. It affects sleep and nutrition. It can, right? But what's really happening, the, the model that we're using, that I use and what I was taught, is um, your body has to adjust and your mind and your spirit has to adjust to the fact that one world has ended and another world is just beginning, and you don't even know the extent of, of the loss yet because you can't know. You know intellectually, oh my gosh, he's dead. But you don't know it, know it, know it till you walk through a season. A calendar year really helps you because it vivifies it. It makes it real. Oh, today's her birthday. And she's not. See, those kind of things that you don't or, or a seasonal pattern. And you don't know why you're feeling down, but you're like, oh, yeah, this was when we found out he was sick or something like that. Right. Wow. That's powerful. The idea of in the midst of that going on in the outside parts of our lives and then inside there's what we're feeling an appropriate way. I mean, if you look at Jesus pattern, when he heard about John the Baptist being murdered, murdered, first of all. Yeah. Uh, unceremoniously. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, and he withdrew for a while, but not for too long. The crowds came and found him. And the next thing that he's doing is healing him some more. You know, so he does get back to work. And I think there's, is there a word for that in psychology? The idea of getting back to work or doing something to serve other people. Uh, is there one word for that? Is we that know a, the effects. Yeah, what are the effects? Well, we know the effects. I mean, just e even doing something that's perceived like recycling, it boosts people's mood somewhat because they feel like they're, that they matter in some way, that they're doing something important and that they're connected, you know, so for sure, that, that's part of it. It seems like Jesus modeled that. I mean, like there's great healing therapy coming from work, coming from doing something for someone else. And not instead of sorrow, and this is key, I think, not instead of sorrow, but because in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of your sorrow, to be able to do something or share something with someone else. Yeah. So there's a concept that doesn't get mentioned as much as post-traumatic stress, and that's post-traumatic growth. What? I've never heard it. Oh, yeah, it's a real thing. And it's being researched in, in positive psychology, for instance. And that is exactly what happened. You know, in my experience, I've seen it over and over, where you think that this loss is has just devastated you. Okay, and you're feeling that devastation. Fast forward two years, and there's a different story. Because the first thing that happens is we have to know the extent of our loss, we have to to, to negotiate reality. Mm -hmm. So we're focused on the pain. What does this mean? Breakfast alone? right? Where am I going to go this year for Christmas? Think, all those sorts of things. We have to take an account of that so we can function mm -hmm. in reality. But as, as we accept those things and we appropriately grieve those, which means feel fully like what you're talking about, then what's left over starts to emerge and what's created from the loss. Like for instance, my, my sister is a, was a dental hygienist, got exposed to kids in the cancer ward, has had a long career in NICU, in the ICU for children. That would not have happened mm -hmm. without that. Now, was it worth it? I'm not saying that, but it, it's not e either or. And the principle isn't that God caused that to happen so you could be a nurse at all. The principle, I think it is, and if there's more, tell me, is that, yeah, there is suffering 
in the world, but God will take that suffering if you allow him and create something else. So John 16, 33, I've said, and by the way, I'm going to, I don't want to make anyone mad at me. I'm trying to be helpful here, but a watered down Christianity, I think is worse than atheism. Wow. Right. I think it's more dangerous. I can buy into that. You have just enough to keep you from moving forward and getting a deep, deep understanding. And not that I have it, but I'm further along because I find good teachers and try hard to understand. And I don't fall in love with my own ideas. Try not to. But he says in John 16, 33, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace, which is what everybody wants, just different routes. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay. How do I tie that into like the watered down Christianity? Man, the whole thing's about how to live in a world of suffering pretty much. Don't think you're not going to suffer and you're not going to carry across. This is showing you how to do it so you can bear it for the glory that follows. He was a man of sorrows. That's the description of Jesus. That's one of the prophecies of Jesus. Not a man of happy, peppy people. Right. Yeah. And it gets really mixed up that way. And going back to the story of Jesus now with Lazarus, who some scholars believe was Jesus' best friend. Because Jesus constantly throughout the Gospels keeps returning to Bethany, which is this town outside of Jerusalem. And we don't know much what goes on in Bethany. There's crazy things that happen. Jesus curses a tree. He, he's talking and, and Martha jumps across people and gets in Jesus' face and says, tell my sister to help you out. Just must be Bethany. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And so here he is, his best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, dies. And I just want to thank God for that little verse. Jesus wept not just for helping us recite a quick Bible verse, but for the meaning of it. No other religion seems to lift up the embrace of sorrow the way that Christianity does. And, and I think what a real way to go. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. He wasn't the least bit ashamed to admit his sorrow, to express it deeply, to express it openly. There's a great line by kind of a theologian author whose name was Calvin Miller. And he said this, crying is common in this world. All infants do it everywhere, even in public. By adulthood, most crying is done alone and in the dark. Weeping for babies is a sign of health and evidence that they're alive. Isn't that a chilling omen? Not the laughter, but the tears is what is a sign of life. And I just thought that was kind of powerful to think of. You know, it used to be open, but now we feel like we can only do it in the dark. And when Jesus was saying that, and when he was crying... The next verse, John describes, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this guy from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb where Lazarus was. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And the next thing Jesus did was pray, take away the stone. And then Lazarus' sister, Martha, who's kind of the fussy one, she said this, but Jesus, by this time, there's going to be a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? All in the midst of sorrow, he's saying this. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people around, that they may believe that you sent me. He kept reminding all the mourners about the resurrection. You know, Martha was fussing at Jesus. He's like, why weren't, she was saying, why weren't you here? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I think 
sorrow, if we can think about it in that way, is such a reminder of from God. It's, a, it's like all our emotions, they're signals from God. I think sorrow is a signal from God to remind you how important life is. And I think there's sorrow because there's love. There's loss. Life is messy. That means sorrow and grief and sadness. But the twist is that God's given us a solution to the messiness and the sorrow of life and how important and good it is. And the solution is this resurrection, not just in general, like you're saying someday, but resurrection for living for here for now, you know, as a pastor, I feel helpless when people are living through times of death and times of loss. I feel really lame sometimes. And I admit at funerals, I thought talking about the resurrection, which is sort of a band aid you know, that we're supposed to say, because I'm the pastor, and don't forget, look on the bright side, there's a resurrection. But it, I remember it hit me probably 10 years ago. And the person who kept referring to the resurrection yeah. in the midst of sorrow yeah. wasn't a pastor, it was Jesus. <laughs> like, hello, resurrection is Jesus' idea. It's not just some man-made band-aid to help sad people with their sorrow. The resurrection, hear me out, the resurrection is Jesus' true reality. It's not just some pie in the sky thing. It is the reality of God breaking through the sorrow, breaking through our sorrow into the world that we might know how important life is because sorrow shows us how important life is because we feel it so deeply. And the resurrection is God breaking into that to show us how important life is. And Jesus hung on the resurrection and the life and he lived it not someday, but for today. As the perfect human, he understood a principle that I know that psychology is talked about too, and you can add to this, any experience that you go through for which you don't make the required payment of emotion, you're going to pay later with compound interest. Yeah. That's a great way of describing that. How would you describe that psychologically? Anything that you go through, any experience for which you don't make the required payment of emotion, you will later pay for with compound interest. Yeah. So, so what's happening is this, you can't deny reality. Your body knows. Okay. And here's a one, just a simple explanation of how that works. Like I've, I've spoken enough that I don't get, I think I'm not nervous. Right. Cause I don't have the thought of being nervous. I don't have these cognitions like, Oh, well, what if I flop or anything? Like if I flop, I flop, whatever. But my body knows it's been in that situation before because I don't pit out. I pit out when I speak. Like when, when I go to do a sermon with you or something, you know, each time I was like, wow, I must've been nervous without knowing it. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. So don't think that you're not having the effects of it just because you're not cognizant of it. It's subconscious. We feel it before we know it sometimes. And that's how you walk. That's how you become bitter, by the way, too. Like, you know, just drop by drop that bucket got filled and you didn't see it happen. But before you know it now, you are not life affirming, right? You decry the pain and, the, and suffering that came your way as if that wasn't as if you're entitled to a pain-free existence here. You're not, you know, he's already told us that. So, you know, like, look, the, I told you the truth is more gentle than the distortions, right? That's such a powerful thing that you've shared before with us. Yeah. Check it out. See if it's true, but I think it's absolutely true. That's why they call the truth, the truth. And they call the distortion psychosis, right? Yeah. If they gets too distorted, absolutely. You, you, now you're not facing reality at all. It's just, a, it's chaos. It reminds me of the beginning of that book, The Road Less Traveled. Mm -hmm. M. Scott Peck talks about once you realize life is difficult, then you stop trying to cover it up or make it not difficult. Yes. But what happens is we avoid the pain by creating some false reality. And then we get further and further away from the truth. And then the avoidance causes us more pain than the original event that was painful. 
For sure. Because all of those things that you did to avoid that pain that's there, you paid a price for those things too. Substance use, anger, irritability, you know, anger with God. But Christ has told us in Matthew 5, 4, that blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And we know that that's true because there are mechanisms that we can find. We get painkillers when we cry. Wow. And Kefalin is one of those. We get these natural and that. So he was being technically, you know, accurate with that, that if you will. But now if you resist it, guess what you're going to resist it with? Like if I, if I feel like crying and I can't, I have to do something. What will I do? Well, what do you think? Distraction for one thing. Just don't think about anything. Well, your body's yeah going off and signaling you that something that you loved has been lost. And then you just distract, but your body's still working on that. You still got the stress and all that stuff, or maybe muscular tension right? Like, don't cry, don't cry. Just hold it back. Just hold it back. Is that good? How long can you do that for? But you know, it's still happening. Fear, you know, worry, anxiety, and, and all that kind of stuff. Substance abuse, all kinds of distractions, gambling, and who knows what else, anything, because we have in this culture, we're a hedonistic culture. We believe that pleasure is the top thing. That's our God. It's the highest value. The highest value is pleasure, my pleasure. And then I'll worry about other people's pleasure, but you know, I need to feel it. And we don't know how to feel pain, but the whole Christian path is, look, you're in this world and this is how this world is. And this who rules the world and it's not, it's broken, it's being restored. So as you go through this, you must carry your cross and know how to do that. Don't think that you're not gonna, that that's part of the bargain. That's not Christianity. It's not, it's something else. Right. Paganism or something, I don't know. Sorrow and grief are normal and natural and human and helpful and inevitable yeah and you never need to be ashamed about it you never need to be ashamed about weeping you never need to be ashamed about withdrawing for a time or getting help from your closest friends jesus did that jesus did that and you never need to be ashamed about praying you never need to be ashamed about talking about heaven talking about the resurrection that's the right that's what jesus himself did the healthy rich and full way to talk about sorrow, which is hard because sorrow is sorrow. So the whole thing is is difficult. But I can't imagine how good it could be if we got it right, if we could feel life and offer life as deeply as Jesus did to people. And I think about that all the time. Like how, because we always slip away. It's just, you know, the distractions of the world, we will slip away. It's just part of how the path is. But is it, I just had this thought last night, actually, I got this sense of, no, it is possible. It's hard and I may never do it, but there is a way to feel God's presence in every exchange. I think the saints did it. I don't, I can't do it right now, but I can work towards it. But it is possible to know your place in the cosmos, right? That's basically what it is. In other words, the truth, walk in the truth all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if you and I, imagine if everybody who's listening to this could be one of those people one of those people that your friends and your neighbors could call on to walk through sorrows with them because they understood the power of the resurrection. They understood that sorrow is, is a part of life and you don't have to numb yourself from it, but, but to realize that the truth is more gentle than whatever we try to cover it up with. But isn't that magical thinking? Isn't that like, like you, like you need this flying spaghetti monster of a being that, so just so you can't face the truth. A lot of people would say it. A lot of people would say that, but I, I heard a spin and I don't know, I wish I could quote the guy because he wasn't super famous, but someone quoted him on this. He thought that that's true of Freud and the atheists because the last thing that they want to be living like they want is there to be a God that works the way that they do. So that's magical thinking. I'll just wish the God away so I can get away so I'll be safe. 
Right, right. Because I'm not worshiping. I'm doing all kinds of things and that is against God's according to the scriptures. And well, also things imagined son. Yeah. My magical thinking is making him go away so I don't have to pay that price. And right. Right. Like I'm gonna imagine no gravity. I'm just choosing to remain on this chair right now. And I guess maybe a final word for me would be the idea that we don't have to go seeking for this. We don't have to go seeking for the resurrection. And here's why. Because Jesus, who said, I am the resurrection and the life, Lazarus' sister, he's loved you first and he sought you out. He's come to your Bethany town, wherever that is. And Martha was looking for the resurrection for her brother. And when she was talking to Jesus, not ever realizing that when she was looking in the eyes of Jesus, the resurrection was looking back at her. People have to meditate on that because I, I didn't understand it at first and I'm starting to understand it more why Christ is central to this thing because I've seen what religion looks like when it's without Christ. Christ was very mysterious, very complicated, is very mysterious, very complicated. And if you take your eye off of that, you're going to get lost. He showed us because there's so much more information in the life lived than just some writings. Okay. And I'm not saying the scriptures are, are just writings. They're not, there's something special, but I'm just telling you, it's not, he had to take, cause he gave, God gave us so many chances. He gave the Israelites so many chances and they just couldn't get it right. So it took a form of, of a man became man. So we could have that as a, as a testament, as a testimony to how, what the truth is. So I'm going to be the truth. Like Gandhi said, my life is my message, right? Live that folks. Someone called me in from my family with a big bunch of problems and blah, blah, blah. And I go, why don't you just become the thing that you want your kid to be? So you want her to calm down stuff. Why don't you start with you? Because she'll pick up on that. Be the thing. Your life is your message. That's why don't just talk because now your life's your message. You're a person who talks and doesn't do, mm -hmm. right? See, I mean, that's my understanding right now. I hope it deepens more than just this, but that's my understanding why Christ is the truth and the life. Now you can, you can observe it and have reports on it. And the resurrection is his idea. Absolutely. And, and look, I want no one who's going through pain right now, please know that we're not minimizing it. You deal in pain. That's your job. You were called to it. You do it. And me too. And I've had a lot in my own life and things like that. So we're trying to find the way through mm -hmm. pain so it doesn't be harder than it needs to be. But Romans 8.18, Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul suffered way more than I, I mean, nobody's ever like whipped me and I haven't been shipwrecked and, you know, and uh, feared for my life because people are hating me. Yeah. So for him to say something like that, he saw things, he knew things, right? And he- Firsthand. And that allowed him to do that. So do you believe that? Ask yourself, do I, do I believe that there's something to come, the telos, right? That this is going somewhere. And how much do I believe that? Because if you truly, 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 100% just didn't doubt, you would be comforted and you would mourn, just like Christ said that you would, right? But it would take on a whole different quality, set of qualities. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I need that. I need that today. Going, we all do. Going to visit these folks who are about to lose their dad. Yeah. You're going to be dealing with pain and you're going to be feeling pain, mm -hmm. but you'll, you'll know what to do. Mm -hmm. Trust in. Yeah. Be Christ-like. That's it. You know how to do that. You practice it a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of good examples around me too. Listen, this is really good. Yeah. And why don't we pray? Let's. Lord, I thank you so much. The scripture says, even the prophets say you are a man acquainted with grief and sorrows. Lord, that you are not some kind of God who is far off and distant and perf 
well, you're perfect, but you understand the fullness of life and you've lived it and experienced the brokenness of sin, even though you never did sin. And Lord, there's so many of us that are on the low grade sorrow scale somewhere. Maybe it's simply because of stupid COVID. Maybe it's because of people. Maybe it's because of our own stupid decisions. Maybe it's because of death. But in the midst of that, Jesus, you showed us it's okay to go to a quiet place, a solitary place for a time to withdraw, but not for too long. And to go to your friends and to find a way to serve, even in the sorrow. And Lord, thank you that the resurrection is not just some made up pastor thing to say to make people feel better or some band-aid, but that you live the reality of, of life after death from the beginning. And so we ask that God, that you would speak to us in this way and that we would see the resurrection and the life in you. We pray in Jesus name, amen. amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show head over to drmartinfletcher.com.